Attention Inland Empire. Maybe you've heard of the terms float tank, sensory deprivation, or float therapy, but we have a question for you. How much do you really know about it? For example, did you know that floating takes all the weight off your body with over a thousand pounds of Epsom salt? In fact, the zero gravity environment provides incredible relief to achy joints and tense muscles. And not to mention, thousands of people have gotten relief from arthritis, fibromyalgia, tendonitis, inflammation, and chronic neck, back, and shoulder pain. The solution is heated to skin temperature so that after a few minutes you actually feel like you're floating in midair. Now you are in control of your complete experience and you can feel free to float with the door open and the lights and music on, but if you turn them off, it creates an environment where you don't see, hear, or feel anything. It's the experience of nothing. Now you can only imagine why so many people use the float tank to achieve deeper levels of meditation, enhance creativity, better sleep, and stress relief because it allows the brain to slow down into deep alpha and theta states to ensure you achieve complete relaxation at float state. Relax, heal, unwind. Since the day I stopped drinking, my life has gotten better and better. I can't take any credit for it. It just seems that without alcohol, I think better, I'm more careful with money. I watch what I say. I don't get into trouble like I did when I was drinking. It's scary trying to walk through life alone. And today, I have that very distinct feeling that I don't ever have to be alone again. Visit aa.org for more information and download the Meeting Guide app to find a meeting near you. I'm so lonely. I could die. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm Carl. I am... Uh, 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 alcoholic and uh what what do i say again what do i say something like uh in my sobriety date is uh uh august uh, august what's yours again february what what's 19th yours? 19th oh my gosh my so oh sorry my <laughs> ADD's going off <laughs> hey, august 22nd 2014 i am chelsea i'm an alcoholic and my sobriety date is february 19th 2015 this is Sober Pod. Sober Pod is the podcast about recovery that doesn't sound like a podcast about recovery. We are not experts or professionals, just a varying number of deeply flawed individuals with good intentions. If you would like to hear about the 12 steps, check out season two of 2019 for the years long coverage of 50 plus episodes. And it goes without saying, we do not speak for any recovery group or organizations. And this That's hilarious! We encourage oh you to in moderation. Hilarious! This, oh, oh I was not expecting that. <laughs> That's that's our that's our soundboard on on uh, Riverside FM, you know, because because uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> and here we are. Okay, oh my sorry. God. <laughs> sorry, you're having I, too I, much fun. I I love a soundboard. I love a good soundboard. So uh, we should have got an Elvis soundboard for the I'm so lonely. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> every time we said lonely, we could have it go uh huh. <laughs> Maybe I'll just do it then. Yeah. So, um, so this week we are talking. We are still talking about the Living Sober book. We are uh, going through the Living Sober book, and we are 
um, we we play it, and then we you know do those other types of things, and we talk about it. And then, um, so we've been doing that. We've been playing like whatever 10 minute segments, blah, blah, blah. So go back and listen to it's the episode new beginnings is what it says. And from there, uh, you can, uh, follow along and, and catch up with the rest of us. So we are, uh, on number 14 fending off loneliness as, as Chelsea said, uh, I'm so lonely. <laughs> uh, I could die. And so, um, so we'll be doing that. Uh, Chelsea, do we have anything to to talk about in terms of? Do we have any housekeeping? Housekeeping? <laughs> well, I gotta get that like sound soundboard. Oh, the housekeeping. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. Um, I would just really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to our podcast um, wherever you're listening, whether that's on Spotify or Apple. Um, not sure. Probably Google. Google. Yeah. Yeah. Um, leave us a review. I, you know, we actually read those and, um, I am genuinely interested in what people think about the show. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at SoberPod, and you can follow me on Twitter at sip and sync. And we had, we did have somebody respond actually on the Facebook SoberPod live folks oh, uh and right. it was yeah it was chuck g and he's uh he was talking about um first things first episode and he said holy crap <laughs> holy that's crap. not all that he said but he <laughs> did say i don't know why but that was just an amazing episode it took me so many attempts to finally understand the true meaning of first things first i feel like every point that you both made throughout the entire episode were my exact experiences and thoughts I shared this episode on my page because this concept is so important from day one to day 1000. Even now, as I approach seven years, oh, congrats on, on well, no fronts, but congrats on seven years, <laughs> Chuck. Uh, uh, first things first is still a daily necessity. I could go on forever, but I just want to say thanks for such a great episode. Chuck, we love you. That's all there is to it. Yeah, so, when uh, I saw that, I was so like... Oh, that makes me so happy. Yeah, so. just the fact that we, you know, we're, we're just talking to each other and it just has an impact and such a memorability for it. I think that that is like awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know we crossed a lot of you know different topics in that episode, but still we were we were trying to come back to you know to to the point. Okay, so um, so what are we doing now? What where are we going from here? Where does it go from here? Um. Like, well. We should listen to Living Sober. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, let's stick to the plan. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so okay. So, uh, this one is called um, Fending Off Loneliness. And it, again, it's number uh, 14. But if you remember, like, we've already gone through, like, a ton of these things. We've talked, like, making use of telephone therapy, availing yourself of a sponsor, uh, getting plenty of rest, uh, first things first, which is the last episode. And then, of course, uh, fending off loneliness and next week's episode is going to be watching out for anger and resentments chelsea i mean what if i don't want to watch out for it I... <laughs> <laughs> well i don't then don't <laughs> but you're gonna have to at least go through the episode a little bit all right so i'm gonna share this and then we are gonna begin playing fending off loneliness I'm so lonely. 
Okay, here it is. Fourteen. Fending off loneliness. Alcoholism has been described as the lonely disease, and very few recovered alcoholics argue the point. Looking back at the last years or months of our drinking, literally hundreds of thousands of us remember feeling isolated, even when we were among a lot of happy, celebrating people. The present worldwide membership of AA is estimated to be over two million. We often felt a deep sense of not belonging, even when we cheerfully acted sociable. Many of us have said we drank originally to be a part of the crowd. Many of us felt we had to drink to get in and to feel that we fitted in with the rest of the human race. It is an observable fact, of course, that our chief use of alcohol was egocentric. That is, we poured it into our own bodies for the effect we felt within our own skin. Sometimes that effect momentarily helped us to behave sociably or temporarily assuaged our inner lonesomeness. But when that effect of alcohol wore off, we were left feeling more set apart, more left out, more different than ever, and sadder. If we felt guilty or ashamed of either our drunkenness itself or anything we did while drinking, that compounded our feeling of being an outcast. At times, we secretly feared or even believed that we deserved ostracism because of the things we did. Maybe, many of us thought, I really am an outsider. Perhaps this feeling is familiar to you when you think back to your last bad hangover or bad drunk. The lonely road ahead looked bleak, dark, and unending. It was too painful to talk about, and to avoid thinking about it, we soon drank again. Although some of us were lone drinkers, it can hardly be said that we completely lacked companionship during our drinking days. People were all around us. We saw, heard, and touched them. But Diggity. most of our important <laughs> dialogues were entirely interior, held with ourselves. We were sure nobody else would understand. Besides, considering our opinion of ourselves, we were not sure that we wanted anybody to understand. No wonder, then, that when we first listened to recovered alcoholics in AA talking freely and honestly about themselves, we are stunned. Their tales of their own drinking escapades, of their own secret fears and loneliness, jar us like a thunderbolt. We discover, but can hardly dare to believe right at first, that we are not alone. We are not totally unlike everybody, after all. The brittle shell of protective and fearful egocentricity we have dwelled in so long is cracked open by the honesty of other recovered alcoholics. We sense, almost before we can articulate it, that we do belong somewhere, and the loneliness starts rapidly leaking away. Relief is too weak a word to convey our initial feeling. It is mixed with wonder, too, and almost a kind of terror. Is it real? Will this last? Those of us sober in AA a few years can assure any newcomer at an AA meeting that it is real, very real indeed, and it does last. 
It is not just another false start of the sort that most of us have experienced too often. It is not one more burst of gladness, soon to be followed by hurt disappointment. Instead, as the number of people now sober for decades in AA swells each year, we see before our eyes more and more hard proof that we can have a genuine and enduring recovery from the loneliness of alcoholism. Still, getting over years-long, deeply ingrained habits of suspicion and other protective mechanisms can hardly be an overnight process. We have become thoroughly conditioned to feeling and acting misunderstood and unloved, whether we really were or not. We are accustomed to acting like loners. So after we first stop drinking, some of us may need a little time and a little practice to break out of our customary solitude. Even though we begin to believe we are not alone anymore, we sometimes act and feel in the old ways. We're green at reaching out for friendship or even accepting it when it is offered. We're not quite sure how to do it or whether it will work. And that piled up super heavy burden of years of fear still can drag at us. Therefore, when we start to feel a bit lonely, whether we are actually physically alone or not, the old routines Bob and the balm of booze can easily entice us. <laughs> now and then, some of us are even tempted just to give up and go back to the old misery. At least it is familiar, and we wouldn't have to work hard to recapture all the expertise we achieved at the drinking life. Telling an AA group about himself, a fellow once said that being a drunk from his teenage years to his 40s was a full-time occupation, and he passed by most of the things North American males usually learn as they grow into young truth. manhood. So there he was in his 40s, he said, sober. He knew how to drink and brawl. But he had never learned a vocational or professional skill, and he was ignorant of most mm -hmm. social graces. Mm. It was awful, he declared. I didn't even know how to ask a girl for a date or what mm. to do on one. And I found there aren't any classes on how to date for 40-year-old bachelors who never learned. The laughter in the AA meeting room that night was particularly hearty and affectionate. So many there empathized, had gone through the same type of unease. When we feel such awkwardness, incongruous at 40, or even at 20 these days, we might think we were pathetic, even grotesque, were it not for the many rooms full of understanding AA mm. people who have known that very mm -hmm. type of fear and can now help us see the humor in it. So we can smile as we try again until we get it right. We do not have to give up in secret shame anymore. We do not have to renew our old, hopeless attempts to find social confidence in a bottle, where we found loneliness instead. That is just one extreme example of the kind of all-arms-and-legs feeling some of us get when we first set sail on sobriety. It illustrates how dangerously lost we might be if we tried to go it alone. There might be one chance in millions that we'd make the voyage somehow. But we know now that we do not have to proceed all on our own. It is far more sensible, safer, and surer to do it in the company of the whole happy fleet going in the same direction. And none of us need feel any shame at all at using help, since we all help each other. It is no more cowardly to use help in recovering from a drinking problem 
than it is to use a crutch if you have a broken leg. A crutch is a beautiful thing to those who need it and to those who see its usefulness. Is there really anything heroic in a sightless person's stumbling and groping just because he or she refuses to use easily obtained assistance? Foolish risk-taking, even when it is not at all necessary, sometimes does get undeserved praise. But mutual mm -hmm. helpfulness, since it always works better, really should be more prized and admired. Our own experience at staying sober overwhelmingly reflects the wisdom of using whatever good help is available in recovery from a drinking problem. Despite our great need and desire, none of us recovered from alcoholism solely on our own. If we had, of course, we would have had no need to approach AA, a psychiatrist, or anyone else for aid. Since no one can live totally alone, since all of us are dependent to some degree on our fellow human beings for at least some goods and services, we have found it sensible to accept that particular reality and to work within it in the highly important venture of getting over our active alcoholism. Thoughts of a drink seem to sneak into our minds much more smoothly and slyly when we are alone. And when we feel lonesome and an urge for a drink strikes, it seems to have special speed and strength. Such ideas and desires are much less likely to occur when we are with other people, especially other non-drinkers. If they do occur, they seem less potent and more easily put aside while we are in touch with fellow AA members. We are not forgetting that almost everyone occasionally needs some time to himself or herself to collect thoughts, take stock, get something done, Go to the work out a private situation, <laughs> or just vacation private the stress situation. of the usual yeah, day. I, I, know, I know what she's talking but about. we have found it dangerous to become too indulgent about this, especially when our mood becomes a bit morose or self-pitying. Almost any company is better than a bitter privacy. Mm -hmm. Of course, even at an AA meeting, it is possible to want to drink, just as people can feel lonely in a crowd. But the odds mm. against taking the drink are much better in the company of other AAs than they are when we are alone in our room or in a hidden corner of a quiet, deserted bar room. Dangerous. When we have only ourselves to talk to, the conversation gets kind of circular. More and more, it excludes the sort of sensible input other people can supply. Trying to argue yourself out of a drink is rather like attempting self-hypnosis. Often, it is about as effective as trying to persuade a pregnant mare not to foal when her term has come. For these the reasons, fuck? then, when we suggest <laughs> avoiding fatigue and hunger, we often tie in a mention of one more hazard to make it a triple play. Don't let yourself get too tired, too hungry, or too lonely. Check it out. Halt. If the notion of taking a drink crosses your mind anytime soon, pause to consider. As often as not, you are likely to find you are in one or more of those three high-risk conditions. Tell somebody fast. That at least starts to relieve the loneliness. Lonely. Lonely for feeling. What was that about a pregnant mare? Well, let me tell you, they, they often, you know, uh, this book was originally um, uh, crafted just for jockeys. 
<laughs> just for race, just for race jockeys in stable boys. So oh they threw in this reference because they thought the rest of us would even get what the fuck she was talking about. Because <laughs> I'm sorry, because often it is about as effective as trying to persuade a pregnant mare not to foil when her term has come. I don't even. I mean, I okay. I, I would have to look up foil first of all, just to even know what the fuck we're talking about. So, uh, so I'm gonna have to look that up, and it says foil, which is a f- oh, uh, uh, so oh, well, that's the name of a, of a little tiny horse. <laughs> so, uh, when a mare oh, is pregnant, oh, she is yeah. said to be in foil, 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 whatever. It's a young horse, so I, gu- I guess to not have the baby. I don't yeah. know. I fuck me, man. Like, geez, could you find a more obscure fucking reference? I mean, I know. <laughs> that is a quite, quite um, a metaphor. Oh Jesus! Like, you know what else out. I thought when you said balm of booze? I thought I thought she had said balm of boobs. <laughs> balm of boobs. <laughs> yeah. The old routines and the the balm of boobs can easily <laughs> entice us. Hell yeah, they can. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. So, uh, well, isn't it funny that we're sitting here and we're laughing about being lonely, right? Isn't that hilarious? Yeah. Like we're laughing about like the we, loneliness um, of alcoholism, which is so we fucking, have you know they talk about in uh, the there. book is like the pit of morass, right? Like the fucking like the absolute desperation and loneliness that we fall into in in our ism. And I got to tell you, like. um I completely relate to all this loneliness, but the other thing is that I relate to actually coming out of it. And mm-hmm. I think that, that is like uh, so sweet and bitter all at the same time. I you know, I don't know. What, what do you think about all this? I think we can laugh now because we have gone through it and it's no longer kind of just our default. At least I shouldn't speak for you, but for me, I can I slide back into it absolutely but for the most part like I am not feeling this like complete isolation loneliness like I have no one even though I'm in a room full of people I don't feel that Mm -hmm. anymore um and and that is a blessing and so yes I can laugh about it now but it was it was really hard and um it didn't getting sober didn't change that you know if anything i mm-hmm. i felt a little more isolated because now mm-hmm. now i wasn't drinking with all my people who drink you know so i was like yeah. well damn um but but i was so it was so painful being alone for so long and not having friends and not having like things to look forward to that my, I have said this before, it was either kill myself or stop mm-hmm. drinking because it was so painful and I just, I didn't know what else to do. And so, um, I'm glad I chose the latter and stopped mm-hmm. drinking. Um, but, but it's a real issue. And I, I just want people to know out there that if you're feeling this way, you know, it does get better. It has in my case. Yeah, I, 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 there's nothing like 
um, identifying. You know, when I sit in the um, the rooms and I hear somebody say, you know, I was a uh, um, I was alone in a crowd. You know, there's there's a, a a hole in my soul, like a hole in my stomach, like a hole in my chest that you know I could never fill. Um, you know, I, I, I felt isolated apart from, like I never fit in. I was the outcast. Every time I was in a, um, a conversation or a group of people, I just felt like I just did not belong. And I can't imagine like, you know, I think that we all feel that way. I mean, in, in, a, in the human race necessarily, I think that we do, but I think that, um, you know, my personal feeling is that, uh, we desire this is so strange because i just i talk to my friend jeff a lot and uh, he's like one of my dudes in my front row and we talk about like um that we uh we have a spiritual thirst right that it's like we literally have more need than others in terms of seeking a spiritual connection and i think that that's what we're trying to do when mm-hmm. um when we're when we're drinking the alcohol right because i mean there's a reason why they call it spirits right so, so I, um, and then for me, it actually did all those things. It filled the hole. It made me feel like I, w- I fit in. It w- like it, it erased some, all those insecurities that I would have going through my head during the time that I was drinking. And then, you know, I, I think here's the worst part is that towards the end, it literally like, you know, it, it did the opposite of mm-hmm. what I thought it was doing. I was like, why am I sitting here drinking alone in my home? Mm-hmm. You know, and my, my family is like, you know, they, they run really fast by my door. <laughs> they like, they don't ever want to come mm-hmm. near me, you know, wherever I am, they, they hurry and scurry to their own location so they don't have to deal with me, you know? And then, um, and I'm sure that they would dread and you know, my stepson would even just dread me darkening his door away with a drink in my hand mm-hmm. because it was just, I just, I was lonely and I would mm-hmm. use my children even to like, you know, compensate for that loneliness and and then after a while they just you know i could tell that they were just <laughs> no longer interested in my participation or they even told me as such and then i would just go back to my computer go back to sitting doing my lonely isolating things and that was a very long time of that behavior so long and so you know we talk about um uh you know in alcoholics anonymous what do we say uh we talk about uh the, like the four horsemen you know we talk about, um, you know, this desperation, right? We talk about this, this absolute loneliness, you know, um, you know, terror, bewilderment, you know, frustration, despair, like all these other things that are kind of brought on by this like absolute loneliness, and it can be devastating. Like you said, it's like you know, you you had two you had two choices. You felt like, in the end, your cyclical thinking puts you into two choices which is one to quit drinking which you don't even know how mm-hmm. and then the other is like suicide you don't even really know how but <laughs> but you're willing to give that a try too you know what i mean it's yep. like it's like a it's like i love it in the book it says like you know we had two choices like one that we could continue to go on suffering like in our drinking the way that we always have been or we can choose a a, a kit of spiritual tools that laid at our feet and i am like Hmm. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> can I go on to the bitter end or can I just try this new thing that might work? You know what I mean? And I was like, and the bitter end just sounded so much more achievable, you know, yep. like it sounded like that was something I- I'd be willing to do versus this crazy ass spiritual shit, 
you know, <laughs> that I had knew nothing about. Right. Like, yeah. Kind of strange. So what, what about you? Like where this is like more of those bottom moments, right? It's mm-hmm. like, uh, like well, for I, you was loneliness, I, like a, a bottom moment. Yes. I always felt lonely. And I think that's why I enjoyed alcohol was it helped me, you know, form connections and socialize and, you know, have friends. Um, but towards the end, like I found myself just sitting on my couch alone. Um, even like choosing to not go to family get togethers because I'd rather be home drinking and my family didn't drink. Um, so I, I find it interesting that um, we kind of perpetuate this loneliness when we're drinking, right? So mm-hmm. I am r- removing myself from people because I'm wanting to drink. And then um, I end up pushing those people away because I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's mind-blowing that we can't see that in the moment. Um, but I think... Uh, What's so interesting is when I came to AA and I I sat down finally um, when I got sober and I was terrified because I didn't know if I fit in here, you know, like, do I even mm-hmm. belong in this mm-hmm. meeting? Am I really an alcoholic? Do I meet their criteria? Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when I sat down there, the only the only uh, two words I could think of while I was in there was. I feel safe and I feel at home. Like these are my people. And suddenly I was like, okay, maybe I can do this because I'm I'm not like totally alone in this. Like there are other people who have had it worse, people who are like where I'm at and they are going through it too and they all felt similarly. So that was really eye-opening for me that I could you know, I finally could get out of my head thinking me, 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 poor me. Um, and I, and I, pour me another drink. (laughs) Exactly. But then I could finally be like, okay, well, all these other people are seeking that connection or, you know, wanting Mm -hmm. to find other sober friends or, um, just talk things through. So why am I sitting here, like making myself go through this more, take the more difficult path to sobriety when I have these people here that I can help and they can help me, you know, kind of just rally together and, and get through the hard times. And, and, and that's kind of the thing is, um, as I sat there too, I did, I, I was very silent. I was still acting very isolated as I sat in the rooms and I did this exact same thing. I just, I went in there this time anyway. You know, when I was younger, my ego was my ego went in the room before I got there. You know what I mean? And then, so, but I guess because that was my that was my only protection. Like you know, that's well, your persona, I, right? Yeah, I had to like push it out there, and and nobody knew that. Um, uh, you know, on the inside, back in the day, nobody knew that I and I didn't even really know. I didn't know that I was hurting. I didn't know that I was afraid. I didn't know I was scared. I had no idea how to be any kind of vulnerable because in my world, like if you were vulnerable, well, you fucking, you know, you know, game on. Like somebody was going to take advantage of that shit. So uh, in this case, though, I sat in the rooms and I was like, you know what? Like I, I, I'm trying to hear the message that is being 
sent. I, I did a lot of silent looking and observing of people. And mm-hmm. I like, you know, not judging necessarily, but I'm like, is this real? Like, is this fucking happening? Like, is this, is this what I've been missing the whole time? Mm-hmm. You know, like, let me check it out. People helping people, being kind to one another, talking, you know, just being just fucking normal. And, uh, and I say that now, but I didn't know what normal was, but, um, but yeah, that, that mutual, like, again, like you talk about it in the book, which is like, you know, we've all, or they even mentioned it here. Like, you know, we're all headed in the, we're all headed in the same fucking swimming in the same direction. I forget what they said, but you know, like a yeah, ship, like, you know, yeah, the ship, like take the whole yeah, fleet, we, take the whole fleet, right? Like everybody's like, is, is, is this true? Is like everybody's heading in the same direction and and some people aren't some people are still lost you know like yeah. i know that i was sitting in there lost for a very long time and you know this this last time it was like six months and i still felt lonely in a crowd i still felt like i didn't fit in I, you know i i was even attracted to the meeting where just a bunch of misfits went <laughs> yeah, because because those because that to me was like what i needed you know i needed a bunch of other misfits and then when i started to connect with a couple of the misfits you know i found out like that they weren't and that you know they're doing the deal and like they're like you know they had sponsors and they were doing their you know the step work and they were going over to other people's houses and doing like the book studies and stuff like that or just going and you know to, you know play poker or you know whatever it was that they were ending up doing and and I did that shit and I just thought that that was wonderful you know to me it was like uh, it was scary though I remember the first time I was invited to somebody's house um I, I hadn't been invited to anybody's house like that wasn't part of work or whatever in like, you know, fucking 20 years, you know? So mm-hmm. to me, it was kind of scary. I didn't even know, like, I didn't know what to bring and it was a good joke. And, uh, and so I called him, I'm like, well, what do I bring? And he's like, uh, he's like, you know, bring a, a veggie tray. And I thought he was joking. <laughs> <laughs> and he wasn't, I was like, I was like, you shit. Cause I thought like I'd get there and everybody would be like, ha ha, he brought the veggie tray. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I just, I did not know what I didn't know. And they talk about that 40 year old who had no social graces and shit like that. Completely 40 year old virgin. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, I have no social graces. That's why I sit here and cuss a lot. And I still cuss a lot because that's who I isolated so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I just didn't understand what was appropriate, what isn't. I And that's how I got along. I was good at my job, and therefore I was able to survive. But I knew that instinctively, that if I'm good at my job and I can check my head enough, that I'll make money and that it'll continue to allow me to drink, basically. And I won't cause enough trouble and... You know, uh, uh, oh, oh, my wife won't hurt me, <laughs> you know, whatever the fuck it is that I was thinking. But you know what? Like, in the end of the day, it's like I absolutely ended up with nothing, with no skills and abilities. I put all my efforts in on my job and none in my personal life or my, my myself. Mm-hmm. And I ignored all the things that normal people do. And wow, like, did I, like, have a fucking upcoming we talk about this you know we talked about it on the podcast before too which is like uh drinking is like being is like waiting for a tsunami like when you stop basically like you know when you're drinking all that shit g- gets pulled out to sea and you don't get to see any of it. it doesn't even really exist you're just sitting on the fucking beach like oh look at all this sand and then and then when the fucking when the um when the tsunami comes it's like fucking all that shit comes with it and that's mm-hmm. what happened for me so i needed all this help i needed help 
to not feel alone. I needed to know that there was going to be people there that like fucking I could talk to that like, you know, just and just be friendly with, you know, just be and sometimes it's a good distraction just to sit after a meeting and bullshit and, you know, shoot shit, you know, because you yeah. need that distraction, too. So, yeah, I needed all this stuff and I didn't know that I needed it until um, until I did, you know. Yeah. And I feel so. <clears throat> like I I remember I was probably like 21, 22 and just in Utah, people get married super young, but I kept seeing people like getting married and graduating college. And I kept thinking like, Oh, like, you know, nothing good ever happens to me. Like I, you know, why am I not getting this? You know, and it's because I simply like kind of got stuck in time. Um, and and uh i i was stagnant for a long time so i remember when i was like i was like probably 21 22 and um i kept seeing people around my age people in utah get married super young and i kept mm-hmm. thinking like why am i not you know getting married why am i not you know fortunate enough to like be able to finish school and and go on and have a career and do all the things I mm-hmm. want to do. Mm-hmm. And what I couldn't see at the time is my drinking really held me back. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't putting in the work to get anywhere. So why was I expecting, mm-hmm. why was I expecting to uh, like get all of those things? Like people don't just hand them out. Like you get a free ticket <laughs> to, you know, graduating college. Like that's not how that works. So So, can we talk about, uh, so talk about, uh, so first of all, I'm sure that you saw, I'm sure that it was inspiring to see other people in the rooms beginning to live their lives. mm -hmm. And that's the other, like, that's the, like the other side of the benefit of being lonely. You know, it's like you kind of, when you, well, when you're coming out of it, you start to see all those things. So let's talk about for quickly, because I want to make sure that like you get your, before the power and internet goes out again at your house. <laughs> so, right. uh, you just passed how many tests, exams, whatever. Can you just like go through this? Cause this is really inspiring. I, and I was just talking to my wife about it this morning. So. Oh, um, like in the past week. Yeah. Oh, I had like, I had one regular exam and then I had two comprehensive exams, like all in three days. <laughs> so it was a little intense. Um, you know, the previous semester I had 10 exams in the matter of like two and a half weeks. So that really, really killed me. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing this shit. Like, um, I went from being the student who would, uh, drink beer while studying, um, or -hmm. doing homework to now like literally spending all day studying and having it pay off. It's really gratifying. Um, and I, I wouldn't think that this was possible in my early sobriety because I had spent so much time kind of having my own pity party. Like, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. Um, until I actually started to try and being sober, um, you can actually like retain information. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> Go figure. Remember yeah. one day to the next. You know, I just think it's so inspiring just because you've like, you know, you passed these tests. I mean, you, 
Uh, are you flying colors passing? I'm sure. Are you like you're you're, you're acing in, these things, right? Yeah, I am in a good spot. I have finals in a week, um, but but so far I have very good grades, and um, this is a very challenging semester. So, but again, you're not going through this like with arguing with teachers, arguing mm-hmm. with other students. You know all the other distractions that go along with it, all the other bullshit partying. Mm-hmm face down in the fucking mud, coming back up, going, where are my books? You know, so it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know why that's all going through my head, but, you know, it's really inspiring. When I hear that stuff, I just kind of go, it's so wonderful just to be, um, you know, talking to you each week and to see the progress of that stuff that just Mm -hmm. really makes me know that we, like, we're doing the right things. Like, this is is the life to live, you know, if you have felt the way that we felt, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. You know, and that's that's what I see about this. It's like this is the this is the the path to to be down. Okay, so before the before the um, well, internet quits again. Hold please. Hold please. <clears throat> I just hold wanted please. To, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to mention something that um happened this past week which I think is relevant to the topic. So my husband um he lost one of his really good friends. excuse me um he lost him to an overdose this past week um Uh and this is a guy who he had been in and out of recovery for the past 20 years Mm -hmm. and he had told someone his his longest time sober was about two years um and you know he he was doing everything but mainly like his his drug of choice was heroin and then towards the end, it became alcohol, like really bad, like drinking a whole fifth, like while you're at work type alcohol. Mm-hmm. And um, he he died, um, I guess he had just gotten out of detox and he, oh, he went home and his roommates gave him some heroin and probably had fentanyl in it and he overdosed and died. And... I know that from what I've heard from others is he just felt really alone. And although he had gone to meetings many times in the past, I don't know that he really reached out for help. In fact, I remember seeing him at a meeting. He came in late, stayed very quiet, left like before anyone could catch him, you know, Mm -hmm. and that was me too in the beginning Um, and not to say that he did anything wrong. I mean, I think, I think you really have to extend your hand for help Mm -hmm. and be willing to accept other people's help than try to do Mm -hmm. it on your own. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's heartbreaking because he had a lot more life to live and he could have done whatever he wanted to do you know he was really skilled really skilled painter and um did that for many years so it's been really hard on my husband and and um people not fully understanding really (laughs) why couldn't he just stop you know um and and my heart breaks for everyone that is has had to experience that but i just want this to be a message that this is addiction, alcoholism will kill you. It will kill you if you do not 
take it seriously. And, you know, it does get better. Um, it's going to be uncomfortable. It, it just mm-hmm. is. But mm-hmm. the life I live now, I'm so much happier. I feel like I am overall, uh, <laughs> I'm not just like going to be a ball of fire and like you like pour a little gasoline on me and I like blow up, you know, I can actually handle things like an adult now. Um, and that, I think that's all recovery. That's all recovery. Mm-hmm. So sorry to end on a downer, but I felt like I'm, not, I'm was... telling Chelsea, you do this to me all the goddamn time. <laughs> I mean, you fucking. Oh, and I like, I leave, I close this fucking computer and I just go. I hate you for this stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, um, so on that note, talking about being lonely, <laughs> Megan Pot Phil was on uh, this morning, uh, and he was all alone doing his like exercise stuff. So if you want to go join him, and um, so he doesn't feel so alone, uh, check out the uh, Silver Pod Live, and you can see when those sessions are available. Usually on Saturdays, uh, around the time of like uh, nine in the morning East uh, Pacific Standard Time, or eight in the morning Pacific Standard Time, whatever time he does it. Um, go check it out. All right. So, um, so what do we say to the kind people then, Chelsea? Deuces. And I say, fuck. Fuck. <laughs> I, say, <laughs> I say, stay active, stay sober. And then I say, fuck. Well, we can say fuck about this episode yes. because, man, like, three times <laughs> it's, it's like something's gone wrong. But hey, you know what? Always a learning process. All right. See you, party people. Ex party people. Thank you.